0: On Friday night, July 21st, 2023, for anybody checking this out after the fact, the Gastonia Honey Hunters and Southern Maryland Blue Crabs were set to take the field in what I would call a run-of-the-mill Atlantic League regular season game in Waldorf, Maryland, but something strange happened. Now, the Atlantic League, before we dive too deep into this, is a professional baseball league that operates outside of the minor league structure where minor league baseball teams belong to major league organizations and develop their players. Now, in independent and MLB partner leagues like the Atlantic League, players can be signed and added to major league organizations and their minor league teams for a fee owed to the team they are currently playing for. That's not super relevant to the story here. It's just sort of a backstory for anybody new to things. Um, Many teams actually feature very talented former major leaguers, former top prospects, and -and up-and-comers who have kind of been overlooked throughout their career. I mean, just this season in the Atlantic League, the Long Island Ducks fielded a starting lineup entirely comprised of players with major league experience. It's pretty impressive to see. So imagine the surprise then when on a clear night with no evident sources of trouble, the umpires left the field minutes before the game along with the Blue Crabs players who were out there warming up without a single Honey Hunter player having taken the field to get loose. Minutes after the scheduled first pitch, the game was announced to be starting roughly 40 minutes late. All of this went from surprising to shocking the next day when word leaked out that the Gastonia Honey Hunters players were planning to boycott and forfeit the game, protesting ownership, not giving them their paychecks that day. As it turned out, this was just the tip of the iceberg. From that piece of information being reported, a dam was unleashed, painting a a disappointing, we'll call it, and troubling picture of an organization with a history of broken promises that was built on a foundation that was flawed from the beginning. let me officially welcome you to Indie Ball Nation. Before we get into this, I should tell you who I am. My name is Ryan Schwalm, and I run Indie Ball Nation, formerly ALPB Roundup. Since 2020, I've covered baseball with news around the Atlantic League and have run familiar with the teams, the players, and the front offices. I've had a great time along the way. In this way, I'm uniquely qualified to talk about this topic in some detail. However, cards on the table. I'm usually spending my time calculating advanced stats that nerds like and researching obscure baseball players while tweeting things like, it's a swingers party on the farm when two teams combine for like a ton of runs during a pioneer league game in Idaho Falls. I'm a unique brand and I will go to therapy when my wife tells me to. With that said, I've worked hard in this episode to lay out some key facts regarding what seems to be happening in and around the Gastonia Honey Hunters organization. This is not my primary function or my most comfortable function as a video creator. I will be open with you there. Have a little leniency with me, I'm doing my best here. I've collected the information I'm about to share from valid news sources, as well as a wide range of individuals that include former employees, current employees, friends and family of current and former employees, members of Gastonia City and Gaston County government, members of the uh, current and former players, uh, as well as local business partners and corporate sponsors. Some of what I will be telling you is so well-known that players from other teams have actually reached out to me to share what they know about it. Essentially, everybody involved has requested anonymity, as their livelihoods, their friends' livelihoods, and professional relationships are all affected by what we're talking about. Additionally, many of the employees of the Honey Hunters, it's kind of strangely, if I'm being honest, have been asked to sign a non-disclosure agreement to work for the team. That is not normal operating procedure within the, this level of professional baseball, that's for sure. It's a bizarre move, uh, but it does mean that if I did use them as sources, they could be in a legal bind and if I didn't use them, then there's a small list of who might be sharing all this information, so who's to say who I did not and did not source from here. Regardless, the majority of the details shared here will be from information that I was able to corroborate between multiple independent sources over the past 48 hours. I I will be careful to identify any information that is single source or conjecture. It should be said that altogether, this is a much larger story than I ever anticipated telling. I, I don't, as I said, I'm not really into the uh, accidentally doing a journalism, um, but it involves everything ranging from baseball to city planning to accusations of shell companies. In the time frame I'm working on and with my limited knowledge of many of these areas, I cannot possibly get into everything and I will not be. There will be corners I shine a light into that we move on from without investigating what exactly we just saw there. I hope this isn't frustrating or distracting to you. I've actually made a lot of these decisions in an effort to avoid both the frustrations and the distractions that come with an overly expansive and long video while still trying to paint at least a a somewhat full picture of what could be going on here. Uh, Perhaps there's going to be some follow-up reporting from myself. I'm half so interested in doing that and half dreading any possibility of doing that. Uh, So we'll have to see how things go here. Um, But others might also explore this in depth, and and I'm okay with that, and they can feel free to reach out if they would like. Um, My efforts here are to keep our eyes focused, first and foremost, on where it all begins and ends with regular people who are being hurt here, whether it's intentionally or not. The Gastonia Honey Hunters were formed in 2021 and took up occupancy of a new ballpark in downtown Gastonia, North Carolina. This ballpark was built in what would be known as the Fuse District. It stands for uh, the Franklin Urban Sports and Entertainment. Uh, as part of, in an effort to revitalize what is a struggling part of that community. In 2019, when this construction contract for the stadium was actually approved, Councilman Jim Gallagher was quoted as saying, "'The Fuse Project will change and transform our downtown. This is about raising up Gastonia and we wholeheartedly support it.'" Now, that support and the reasons for it were and still are important because as noted by the city's official news and information website at the time, the 23 million plus dollars needed for the project, would be mostly funded by the city. They did not have a team to fill this ballpark. The ballpark was uniquely designed for modern baseball. It's beautiful. I was there on opening night actually. Uh, baseball America's J.J. Cooper noted that with a 1,500 seat main bowl and a total capacity of 4,800 with berms and picnic areas and other groups seating providing the rest of the 4,800 uh, person capacity, it would be a multi-purpose stadium that is also capable of hosting soccer football, concerts, and other events. It's a very cool little place where everybody feels kind of close, lots of group and party areas. I see what they're going for. However, the question was yet to be answered. Who would play in this ballpark? Well, the recent history of baseball around Gastonia is a complicated one with lots of versions of different stories and the same story. Regardless of what exactly happened, the Gastonia Grizzlies, which were operated until shortly before this point by current Savannah Bananas owner Jesse Cole, were headed out of town after being unable to secure an agreement with the new Park. I believe at that time under their new owner. And the Atlantic League successfully pitched to the city council in an effort to expand their eight-team league in 2019. In July of 2020, it was announced that the Atlantic League team in Gastonia would be owned by Brandon Bellamy. Much was written at the time about Brandon in pro, uh, becoming the only African-American majority owner in pro baseball and was seen as a good thing all around. I remember I was a huge fan of this move as well especially in that city where there's an African American demographic that makes up roughly 30% of the population in this city of it's roughly 70,000, 75,000 people at the time uh, that sits 20 miles west of downtown Charleston. It just seemed like a good fit. It seemed like somebody who would really be invested in the culture and the goals of the city. Bellamy himself, he's a real estate developer whose velocity companies were set to run the ballpark, own the team, and also develop the area surrounding the ballpark. He also bought that surrounding area. In, a, in that J.J. Cooper Baseball America article, Bellamy said the opportunity for us to bring multi-family residential, uh, to bring real, retail, and to bring office space, potentially to go along with family-friendly fun, comes, that comes with minor league baseball, is a win for everybody. I think it'll be a catalytic to their downtown development. That's a great sense. I think it'll be a catalytic to their downtown development. The man's got a vocabulary. Vibes seemed high at the time, but not everything was rosy beneath the surface, it should be noted beyond concerns surrounding the buildings being demolished for the project, leading to complicated issues involving homelessness in the local area, the lack of shops being built ahead of the ballpark, and few concrete plans for how to utilize the park beyond pro-baseball, combined with tax breaks and subsidies for the organization, those things all kind of mixed together to leave a bad taste in the mouth of a number of people's mouths around the town, but not necessarily everybody, I wouldn't say the majority of people, but some people had noted it and had concerns. The stadium was built regardless, and one pandemic year later, the newly named Gastonia Honey Hunters took the field in May of 2021. Year one was not an easy one in Gastonia. We saw signs of staff being put in roles that they didn't seem ready or qualified for, one guy in particular, Dave Martin, who had worked in another land League front office in High Point, North Carolina, sort of became Brandon Bellamy's go-to guy for just about everything, and it, it didn't go well by many accounts. It was just too much to ask of someone not given or prepared with the tools to succeed, and if you might recall, hiring was super difficult back in uh, mid-2021 as well. Additionally, there were on-field issues that I covered at the time and we don't really need to get into now. It's not super relevant, um, but it did contribute to some of the struggles because uh, it just Involved both the organization's baseball philosophies and the management's attitude toward players. All of this falls in the category of things, as I said, that I just cannot dive into right now. Perhaps, though, the biggest concern was attendance. Reported attendance for the Honey Hunter season just averaged like under 2,000 a game, just under, I'd say. But in a stadium with only 1,500 seats and large open areas for the rest of the fans, it was really easy to pick out the fact that many of these games. We're not reaching the reported attendance numbers. I I covered the league at the time. It was openly discussed that that, you'd see the attendance number in the box, and you go, hmm, fascinating. Often appearing, honestly, to be closer to half or even less than half than the reported attendance. Now, of course, it could be people in suites and boxes, but you can see a lot of that ballpark, and it was definitely a concern. Moving ahead to 2022, a lot of the things were starting to look up. Dave Martin saw a reduced role while some new faces stepped in. On one hand, people like Brady Salisbury, a young guy with evident talent that everybody feels great about, he took over baseball operations as the assistant GM, and he quickly improved the way things were handled on the baseball side of things in a season that saw the team jump from the worst record in the league to the best record. On the other hand, with COO Veronica Jown, she took over most of Dave Martin's duties, and we'll be discussing her more in depth shortly. Despite the on-field success, the reported attendance, accurate or not, drop below the twenty twenty one number. Well this is not uncommon after the first season excitement that many teams experience. It was definitely concerning after the slow start the organization saw in its inaugural campaign. This wasn't a team that sold out every game of people excited about the team in the ballpark, and of course there's gonna be a fallback toward the mean. This was a team who, who struggled off the ground in year one and did somewhat worse in year two. So there were definitely signs of trouble in Gastonia. But still there were reasons for optimism while the team experienced more on-field success in the first half of the 2023 season it was hard to ignore those continued attendance issues and concerns about the team's profitability and this brings us to the main events of this story there's a lot here and i'm going to do my best to use the words and sentiments of those who have witnessed day-to-day activities as much as possible Um, within the organization and outside the organization those who have most recently and closely you know, seen what's been going on and witnessed it through other people or themselves. Those are the people who I really try to pull from as much as possible to discuss the topics because look, I am not there and I know this. I'm just the person who ended up talking about it with people. Please feel free, please feel welcome to comment with questions, you know, preferably after. I used to be like working in classrooms. Try to wait till after for your questions. Uh, Drop them in the YouTube comments. I will get to everything I can and you can feel free to DM me or message me or just at me on instagram or twitter whatever works and i'm happy to talk now let's talk about the coo veronica jown and brandon bellamy see the first key point here is that brandon is rarely around many current and former staff members have actually never met brandon and reportedly he's only just met the team after the series of events that happened this past weekend in southern maryland the second key point is that brandon and veronica have been dating for at least two years oh yeah, did I not mention that at first? Oh yeah, Brandon and Veronica are dating. It what must be one of the worst kept secrets in Gastonia, because one moment's a secret and one moment it seems to be discussed with people somewhat openly. It's a confusing situation. I will not be unpacking that. This seems to play a role though in many things, not just explaining how Veronica might have ended up in a role without experience in the baseball industry, but Veronica herself is alleged to have expressed that due to the nature of her own relationship with Brandon, she's actually fairly uncomfortable or reluctant Ask for money or discuss finances with them. This may begin to explain quite a bit of the recent developments in that organization. According to the matching stories of more than a dozen people around the Gastonia Honey Hunters, this issue with the players getting paid this past weekend was just the tipping point of a much larger problem. First of all, it's important to understand that the organization still has not paid and will not pay the players. Friday's game proceeded after the Blue Crabs organization quickly acted, they contacted the Atlantic League and the league stepped up and decided to pay the players for the remainder of the season. However, this only is in place for the players, according to the staff, and I quote, no one other than players have been paid. This has been happening for weeks. This includes players, front office staff, and part-time game day staff, end quote. In short, the league is concerned with managing baseball teams. To preserve the baseball league, the Atlantic League has stepped in to keep things rolling but it's on the organizations to pay their staffs. That's understandable. I think we can wrap our heads around that. But one does have to wonder how long that can last. After all, with no employees, how can the team continue to function, right? And this is, by the way, obviously not a single occurrence after a bad week. As that quote indicated, it has been multiple weeks. And according to several sources, quote, prior to this, the organization was late on three weeks of payments to part-time staff and some front office staff. So they paid them late three times before this, end quote. Another source continued, quote, the past few pay periods, we've had at least excuses to some capacity about why checks were going to be late. But in all transparency, the COO, talking about Veronica, only even came into the office, I believe, twice in the last two weeks, end quote. Those excuses they're talking about? Well, the first time it was that the bank was hacked, quote, hacks, and someone, quote, stole $20,000. The second time their payment system wasn't working, according to the story. This is plausible for some payment systems, I've seen some businesses with questionable ones, but the team reportedly uses ADP, a massive and reputable company that many viewers probably already work with or have in the past. And these paychecks, Hmm, the paychecks, well, they've been literal paper checks, the only option available to the staff since November of 2022. It was said this had something to do with a pay system switchover, but that was months ago around the new year, And the multiple stories I've received of bounced checks tell a different story about why the organization might be nervous about using direct deposit. As of today, Monday the 24th, the staff is still waiting on their Friday paychecks, and they are not getting answers from Veronica or Brandon about what's going on. So when Veronica has spoken about it, what has she said? Well, she was seen telling one staff member recently that, quote, rushing her wouldn't help, end quote, regarding a check that was a week overdue already. Veronica allegedly vented to a fan that all of this was the fault of employees not clocking in, though multiple independent sources have refuted this claim, raising concerns that Veronica being in charge of keeping the employees' times while rarely being there to do so is a major concern. Outside of this, three separate sources have told me about staff and former staff being told their checks must have been lost in the mail, as well as the team's well-respected and very talented PA announcer not receiving his pay and allegedly just being replaced when he said he couldn't work until they paid him. While I said early on that this issue is at the forefront of things that I want to discuss, these employees and former employees are not the only people that are being left in the lurch by what is happening with this organization financially. Teams like the Honey Hunters can only make so much money off of merchandise, food, drinks, and tickets. A huge income source for teams at any level is sponsorships. At this level of the sport, local businesses are a key component of that. Whether they are agreeing to spend for advertising at the ballpark or to serve as a vendor for the team, these businesses with limited resources that choose to enter deals with an organization that they trust as a key piece of their community hope to see a return on their investment based on the promises from that team. So how have these sponsors and corporate partners been handled in Gastonia? Well, I think you know where this is going. Multiple current and former sponsors and vendors have spoken to me about sponsorship agreements not being adhered to. Six independent sources have shared that many businesses have not been paid and multiple sponsors are either suing or planning to sue the organization. According to three separate accounts, partners would write checks for thousands of dollars for an agreed upon deal. Then the organization's half of the deal would often be either done halfway or simply not be remotely close to what was agreed upon. Other times, the agreed upon work was not done until months after the contract stipulated it would be and the sponsors had already paid. Time and time again, People have been told by Veronica that a different something was behind schedule because of one issue or another. It was always pretty vague. Frequently finished off with an, I'm working on it this week or today, whatever. And week after week, nothing. Now, there was a major story that did stand out, and it actually showed that this wasn't just the way that small businesses were being handled because it involved a deal with Toyota. There was an agreement to a large contract that included a big outfield sign that would serve as a sort of target Uh, toyota made a large down payment to cover the cost of making the sign however the sign never got made after that payment the sign company was prepared to make the sign just needing a payment but allegedly that payment never happened this went on for months and anytime veronica was asked when that payment would be made it was always i'll do that today or this week Again, allegedly, it finally took the team being threatened with a lawsuit for Veronica to get a temporary vinyl sign made that they strapped to a batting net beyond the outfield wall. It's also alleged that to this day, Toyota, uh, the sign that Toyota has paid for has not been made. Beyond that instance, there were a large collection of smaller stories that showed a set pattern of behavior. Very rarely did somebody, uh, around the organization in local businesses reach me without mentioning something like this happening, uh, These smaller stories show a set pattern of behavior that went similar to this one story which I'll share with you now that involved a local live event company. The company was contacted through their booking agent that the Honey Hunters wanted to work with them. All was going well until after a couple of pay periods went by successfully and the next several then weren't paid on time. From there the company was fed a number of excuses including early season expenses being ahead of the company's invoice and the queue to be paid. Uh, They were told that the organization's policy was to not pay via check, but rather by wire transfer suddenly. Those wire transfers would always come through, but they'd be late. However, by mid-season, things had finally fallen behind, and this small business was owed around $8,000. Each time that Veronica was contacted about this, she said she talked to someone about it. Sometimes it was finance. Other times it was accounting. Still others, it was Brandon himself. About the time that Veronica allegedly admitted to one of the parties involved that she was in a relationship with Brandon and that made it difficult to ask him for money, it started becoming clear that there might not be a finance or accounting department holding things up. Uh, Several companies started to actually suspect around this point that it was just Brandon and Veronica with no finance, accounting, or even HR to monitor what was happening here uh, and keep an eye on things denying that there wasn't any mo- denying the thought that there wasn't any money uh, Veronica would allegedly actually say that there is money it's just that Brandon needs to move some things around uh, move some real estate around to make some things work or something along those lines eventually the companies would just have little choice but to move on and maybe let lawyers handle things and hope they eventually see that money someday as things stand this particular small business along with many others is still owed a large sum of money While the treatment of employees and local businesses is bad enough, we still need to address the organization's treatment of their fans and the entire city. It's alleged that season ticket holders haven't received all that they were promised with their season ticket purchases, and many things that have been delivered were delivered haphazardly, and keep in mind these season ticket holders are the people spending the most money with the team, you know, you might want to take care. Season ticket holders and people around the team have spoken to me about something I actually witnessed myself when there. um, the person hired to play music during the game was like playing the explicit versions of songs, which if you've been to a pro sporting event is basically unheard of. That's a weird choice. It's a family event. Nothing has been done about this. And it, by the way, it's been over a long period of time. So nothing has been done about this, This by at least a half dozen people voicing concerns about it. That may seem small in the grand scheme, but it continues to paint a, a kind of a wild and clear picture of why attendance continues to dwindle in an industry that relies on families for business uh the execution of day-to-day activities here just doesn't seem to be anywhere close to where it should be other parts of the game experience have been allowed to suffer as well simple things like beer coolers not working and like the little fridge things or uh you know the, um, the kegs not being purchased. So like concession stands, if you go, have been forced recently to work through summer games relying on coolers full of ice to keep their drinks cold. That's just not how modern ballparks work. It's a strange thing to see, especially in such a new environment. But the biggest issue facing the organization might just be the way that they've worn out their welcome with the city of Gastonia. Four independent sources have alleged that the organization owes the city of Gastonia close to or even more than $100,000. Recently, there have been accusations of delinquent tax payments, and even police officers being removed by the department from their role as security when their paychecks from the team bounced. The people that I spoke with within the city government have stopped short of confirming the exact number of team of the, uh, the exact number that the team owes them, but multiple sources in the government have confirmed these allegations. The team owes the city money. The team owes emergency responders and personnel money. The team owes local businesses money and the team has intentionally worked to hide these things from the city, including the team's financials. A city councilman named Robert Kellogg actually posted the following on his Facebook this weekend, and, and please excuse that this is, a, is long, by the way. Like I wouldn't read this long of a quote typically, but by posting on Facebook, it does make him a rare person that we can actually attribute a quote to freely. Um, he says, quote, by now many of us have heard the same stories and accounts concerning pay and vendors with our local ball team. I stand in solidarity with our team players, first responders, employees, and vendors. As an elected official for the city of Gastonia, my first priority is to the people of this city. That responsibility is a sacred trust, and because of that trust, I cannot condone the reported actions that are bringing hardship and distress to vendors, or to players, employees, first responders, and vendors. I don't want to kick anyone when they are down and certainly understand the plight of a small business that appears to be in turmoil. However, we need some answers. We have spent much of the past year in the dark, and it is time for the light of transparency and accountability to shine. This is not too much to ask for. This is not how we treat those who give their hard work and loyalty to a cause. It is also not how we treat one another or do business in our community. We will get through this together. If and when I have information that, I can, that can be reported, I will share it. End quote. The comments on that post, as well as just about any post on the city's Facebook page referencing the team over the past several months, are almost entirely related to things that we have been discussing here. Lots of talk about back pay and vendors not getting their money and local businesses who are trying to get in contact with someone who can pay them. I received four individual sources alleging that Veronica has stood up town council members when she has scheduled meetings with them, including one that seems to be fairly recent. Uh, Rather than angling toward the community that was so often discussed as the team was starting up, Sources have also said that she focuses on getting people from Charlotte to come to games, despite Charlotte having their own well-established minor league baseball team in one of the most beautiful ballparks in the country. Check that out, by the way. Give that a Google. Maybe check that one. Uh, But if you're in town, go to Gastonia still. Uh, people have noted that Veronica has employees scared to speak up regarding issues, and she has fired staff members for things ranging from not being positive enough, though that was a specific employee that multiple people have alleged that he was extremely positive, actually kind of known for it, and he was let go for what was pretty obviously financial reasons. It might have even been said out loud, those financial reasons. An employee who left as uh, also fired an employee who left while waiting an hour for her to arrive at a scheduled rehearsal before the season. All this this is about a person who has, mind you, an assistant, an executive assistant, and a personal assistant working for her while the organization fails to pay employees, just to sort of round out the picture we're dealing with here when it comes to Veronica. Yes, there's plenty to say about Veronica Joan, but the bigger question is, what about Brandon Bellamy? The whole time, that's been bothering me. Bellamy talks such a good game before all of this, he seems to want this to succeed, and he's worth half a billion with a big old capital B. So, why is this all happening? Where is he? Does he know what's going on? Well, Brandon was around a good bit early on in the team's life, but as I said earlier, one thing is for sure after talking to so many sources around this team, he is not around much now. It's reported that he was in town for this season's opening weekend, but mostly kept to himself. And then when he traveled from his DC area residence to Southern Maryland this weekend to speak to the team after everything happened, it was the first time many of the team had actually seen him in person. But does he know what's going on? To the point, he's dating the COO, he put in charge of this large investment of his, so he must know what's going on, right? Well, that's a bit more complicated. I wanna note here, I reached out to Veronica for comment Last night. It was late last night, but it was last night. Extending a 4 p.m. deadline today to respond, allowing for what I figure a full work day and then some. So I figured that's a fair shot. My email read as follows for clarity um, I guess transparency. My email read My name is Ryan Schwalm and I run IndieBall Nation. While we haven't crossed paths previously, I have enjoyed my time at your ballpark and with your fans over the past two and a half seasons. To the point of my email, I'm working on a video discussing the recent news of late payments for staff and players as well as questions surrounding the overall health and direction of the organization. I'd like to roll this video out tomorrow evening, but I will hold a space open until the last possible moment around 4pm for anything that you or Brandon would like to share in response to the questions below. I have reports from roughly a dozen sources that multiple paychecks have been late or bounced over the past several weeks for both players and for staff. Is that accurate? If so, what is the reason for those issues? Additionally. It appears paper checks have been used for some time in lieu of direct deposit. If true, what's the reasoning behind this? I've heard from multiple sources, including sources inside the league and the organization, that the Atlantic League will be paying Honey Hunters players for the rest of the season. If true, why is that? Members of Gastonia's city government, the local police force, and team sponsors as well as corporate partners have all contacted me regarding late payments and payments that they are still owed. Do you have any comments regarding this allegation? Finally, Is Brandon looking to sell the team? If so, does he intend to sell the surrounding real estate? Thank you for your time and insight into these topics. Looking forward to hearing from you. Ryan Schwalm. This afternoon, she responded six minutes before that four o'clock deadline, uh, stating, Good afternoon, Ryan. Thank you for contacting us. I've been in back-to-back meeting all day. We do not discuss internal organizational or league matters. We are committed to moving forward as a team and providing the community with family fun and entertainment. Thank you so much. Veronica. Well, that's not helpful. For what it's worth, the Atlantic League said something similar through their communications director when I contacted them, but I did not expect much from them. Admittedly, that's a tough spot to speak from. I did not want to go about this without reaching out to them, but I kind of figured there's not much they can say in this situation. They kind of have to roll roll with what they're dealing with here. So we continue trying to put the pieces together picking this up where we were, does Brandon know what's going on? He's dating the COO he's, that he, he is put in charge of this large investment, so he must know, right? While many, and I mean many, have detailed that Veronica allegedly has a habit and talent for pushing blame onto others like she did in that saga involving paying the local business, a similar experience to what many people have shared with me, by the way, as we have heard, Veronica also seems hesitant to discuss financial matters with Brandon. With Brandon. However, things don't just rest on her shoulders. More than a half dozen people have reportedly spoken to Brandon and detailed many of the same issues that we have discussed and the need for changes in the organization if it is to succeed. These people generally have expressed that they did feel heard by Brandon, and they are just a little bit confused by the fact that they still have not seen changes made. So it seemed that Brandon must know what's going on. If that is the case, does he not care to make changes? Is he not able to make changes? If... You know, is he just a businessman that's just unaware of how baseball teams are run? That's a card on the table. Is there someone, potentially Veronica, that's spinning things to say that everything is actually just fine? It's extremely hard to tell what the truth is. What's loud and clear is that many people around the organization have called Brandon's business acumen into question. While he doesn't appear to have been involved in many things recently within the team, He was the driving force between a four-concert and comedy show series at the ballpark that was a significant flop that reportedly cost over $150,000 to put on. After just one of these concerts, the team was reportedly over $50,000 underwater on the deal, but proceeded with the rest of the shows anyway. All the while, several people were told that they couldn't market the events how they wanted because the budget for it was so tight. A very strange sequence of facts there, and I will note... um, it's still unclear whether it's Brandon. I think it was one of his companies that was involved with it, but pushed by him. That seems to be the general trend there. But it, there's a little bit of, you know, obscurity when it comes to whose company, I guess, whether it's a person or the company when the person's running that company and the company you work for. Speaking of strange facts, though, there is the business history of both Brandon and Veronica. While this is not my area of expertise, and I will not fully dive into this now, they are attached to a list of LLCs. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's actually not that uncommon. It is strange and noteworthy to multiple sources that I've talked to both in the city and the city government, that many of the LLCs that are still active connect to companies with addresses in states like Wyoming or a place of business address that seemingly leads to a random building. Or or maybe they have a website with little more than stock photos or social media pages with virtually no interactions to them. Generally, Veronica's history seems to provide more of the same Not only does she seem to talk about Honey Hunters more like a client than an employer, but her flagship, for lack of a better term, company, VSJ, is an organization that's all about communications and, I'll admit somewhat ironically, crisis management. Yet it has a surprisingly thin social media presence and fails to illustrate any real depth of experience for the CEO of a professional baseball team. Further, just some common Google searches turn up next to nothing about these companies, except their LLC registrations and articles about Brandon becoming the owner of the Honey Hunters, the rare other articles about Brandon's business dealings talk about successes with real estate in general were generally leading companies that, again, don't really turn up much when you look them up. This is not to say that something wrong is happening. There's no such concrete evidence of that and I will not be making any accusation like that at this point. Let me be clear, that kind of accusation would be unfounded and incorrect to make. The point I'm illustrating is that a man with a half-a-billion-dollar net worth not being able to come up with ten to $20,000 at a time for his baseball team's salaries is a concerning look, especially when combined with a resume that shows limited details regarding past successes. Staying on that point of Brandon's money, a half-a-billion-dollar net worth is exceptional. Let's not mess with that. But when you work in real estate, it's likely that very little of that net worth can be found in the form of liquidity. Rather, it's found in real estate, right? Concerning that Brandon is 100% aware of the issue of paying players, remember he went and talked to them this weekend, uh, apparently, likely a 50000 dollars dollar monthly cost of doing business, by the way, is what we're looking at when it comes to player salary. Uh, the fact that he is aware of it, yet seemingly unable to pay it now or for the rest of the season, seems reasonable to me to assume that the cash simply is not there. There's a lot more that we could dive into along these lines, but as I said early on, I just don't have the ability or the desire to chase down every dark shadow at the end of every hallway here. It's just not something to do right now. And this is where the facts and allegations leave us, at least for now. I know there are still many things unanswered. If you want to have a conjecture conversation, I'm open to it. Here's my best guess, conjecture-wise. My guess would be that Brandon is a talented investor and he brands himself extremely well. I heard a lot of people tell me just how nice he is, how likable he was, and their limited personal interactions. The word genuine was thrown around despite the current situation. People know there's something wrong, but they still describe him as genuine. I suspect that he's genuinely a very personable guy. I suspect that maybe he lacks the talent or perhaps just the time to manage a customer service-based business and he lacks the experience in the baseball industry. He would be neither the first nor the last owner to find that out about himself. That's honestly fairly frequent within professional sports. I think he entrusted Dave Martin who had recent baseball front office experience with a new Atlantic League organization with more than he should have, and the lack of proper staffing choices put the organization in a bad spot heading into 2022. My theory from there would be that Veronica entered the business, pushing Dave aside, and then she proceeded to try to navigate her own way through this situation with the help of maybe some smoke and mirrors as Brandon fully pulled back toward his home and business interests around DC, leaving her in beyond her depth. From there, my guess would continue that things maybe became toxic and Veronica wasn't very upfront with Brandon about the situation, bringing us to this place. My theory goes that Brandon perhaps caught off guard by the sudden end of Veronica's shell game, was caught within a bit of a shell game of his own financially, when the need arose for cash infusion with liquidity that he simply does not seem to have on hand or perhaps just is not willing to follow through on at this point for one reason or another. Since we're in the land of conjecture, I'll wrap up by trying to answer what does this all mean? Well, What I know is that the staff and the fans of Gastonia are great, and they love this team. They see the vision for what it could be. They desperately still want to be a part of that, of realizing that vision, even though they've seen all these struggles and witnessed it firsthand over these past three seasons. The city, though no city and no government is perfect and blameless, seems to have taken a calculated risk in this situation. It may have been miscalculated. But private conversations with those working within the city and county have indicated nothing but a genuine desire to make something good out of a bad situation that they entered while fully believing that they were helping the city take a step forward. And that's for me who uh, somewhat openly does not trust the government. Sorry, it is what is. Unfortunately, things look bad now. What we've discussed here are textbook symptoms of an organization that's on the verge of complete financial collapse. I know Brandon Bellamy was looking to sell this team this offseason, but I was talking to a potential buyer for it because I was talking to a potential buyer for the team at the time. However, Bellamy did not let go of the real estate over the past offseason, that that real estate that around the ballpark, rather, and and that limits the revenue streams and development options for future owners of the organization, making it, it kind of kills any potential deal. However, with the city seemingly none too pleased with Brandon now, and Brandon presumably needing city approval for his real estate plans, Perhaps he's now willing to part with all of this and just move on. Considering Brandon's lack of leverage, I'd imagine the price may even drop significantly and that could also draw on some buyers to such a new, remember it's a new venue, maintenance cost on most most teams you can buy. They have an older ballpark with them or something like that. That's a huge expense. So having a new ballpark really might draw on some people. It's a unique situation. Um, Despite, again, (laughs) the organization itself does need some TLC. Now my hope would be that If the team is sold, it happens soon enough that the new owner can actually get in there and have the maximum amount of time to turn some things around and build for next season. If the team is not sold, I do hope Brandon and the city can come to a healthy understanding of what's going on, what has been happening, what they need to do moving forward, and then do so in a way that encourages those fans that have been turned off by recent events to give the organization another chance. Regardless, I hope that Brandon and the Atlantic League can have the wisdom to work together to make as many people in and around Gastonia who have been harmed by this situation whole again. That's what I've got for now. As I said, leave some questions in the comments if you like, or you can reach out to me on Twitter Instagram. I know this was long, I know this was dense. Um, if I need to issue any corrections, I will. Uh, I will find the best way to do that. I, I certainly hope not. I really worked hard to vet everything with multiple sources and all that, but things happen. This is a 40-minute-something video, so... I understand there's a lot of facts, a lot of allegedly's, a lot of history that uh, has room, I'm sure, for either incorrectness or interpretation. Um, yeah, so I will, I guess, leave this in your hands now. Um, I'm trying to get this posted as soon as possible, as much later than I hope to. I hope it be posted already, and, well, it's not. So, until next time, I'm Ryan from Indie Ball Nation, and I hope you all have a good one. I may not have a lot, but I love what I got. A 4 by 4 and a good fishing spot I hope this time my card won't decline